0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Year Round Madness, the college basketball podcast that's part of the Total Sports 24-7 Network. This is Chris Hayes, the host and producer for this podcast and all podcasts across the Total Sports 24-7 Network. You can find archived episodes of all your favorite podcasts from the network on our website. It's totalsports247.podbean.com. Be sure to follow me on X at Totalsports underscore 247 and check out our newsletter at weekendweekout.substack.com. We're going to be beefing up content there in the upcoming weeks. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the network wherever it is that you listen to your favorite podcasts. On today's show, we have four games that we're going to spotlight that are taking place tonight. They're all on TV. We hope to have year-round madness a little bit more frequent leading up to conference tournament plays and then the tournament itself. So stay tuned for more content from the network as uh, these games get more and more important. Uh, As we uh, uh, talk about these four games tonight... The way I'm going to frame the conversation is using the rankings from the various ratings agencies and talking a little bit about the bigger picture of each of these teams and then breaking down the games themselves. So let's get right into it. The first game is UConn and Creighton, UConn, the number one team in the country after Purdue's Surprising loss at Ohio State. You know, Ohio State just fired Chris Holtman, and this was their first game in the new regime, so to speak, with their interim head coach. And they managed to pull off the upset at home against the number one team in the country, which enabled UConn to supplant them at the top of the rankings. UConn destroyed Marquette over the weekend by close to 30 points. But it doesn't get easier in the Big East as they have to go to Omaha tonight to face number 15, Creighton. So it's UConn at Creighton. This is at 830 on Fox Sports 1. Current odds are UConn minus three at minus 105. This is at DraftKings. All these will be at DraftKings. The total's at 144 and a half. UConn on the money line is minus 148. Creighton on the money line is plus 124. These teams have met already in stores and it was not close. Creighton lost 62 to 48. Yep, Creighton only scored 48 points in that game. And quite honestly, that game was not even that close. Creighton went uh, on a little bit of a run in the last few minutes of that game to get it within 14. So uh, revenge should be on the mind of the Blue Jays at, with the return uh, being able to host this this matchup here in Omaha. So let's talk about what's going on with UConn first, and then we'll go to Creighton. So UConn is sixteen and ten this year against the spread. So they're twenty four and two overall, sixteen and ten against the spread. They're only ranked number one. At one of the five major rating agencies. So the 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 five rating agencies that I think of as uh, the the top, right? It's Ken Palm, of course. It's BPI over at ESPN. It's Bart Torvik, Evan Maya, and then of course the Net, which the committee uses to rank teams and uses it as an analysis to to tool to figure out who should be in the tournament, and who shouldn't, and who. Uh, should be seated where, and the net is what uses the quad system. So when you hear quad one victory, quad two loss, those sorts of things, that comes from the net uh, that was uh, created by the committee a few years ago as a way to rank teams. So UConn right now is fourth in the net. When we look at the net, they're behind uh, Houston, Connecticut, and Purdue still, I believe. Oh, sorry, Houston, uh, Purdue, and Arizona. They're behind those three, with Houston being one, Purdue being two, Arizona being three, and UConn is fourth. It's a little interesting. I'm not really sure why. They are 13-2 and in quad one and quad two victories. Only Purdue has more wins among those four. And they are 11-0 in quad four. It could be because they have the most quad four games of these top four teams. Arizona only has two. Uh, Purdue has three. Houston has seven. And UConn has nine. That nine figure is likely what is dragging UConn down slightly to the number four slot in the net. But if they continue to play the way they're playing, they won't have to worry. They'll be the number one overall seed. And the way they've been playing has been unbelievable. They have held opponents to 65 or fewer points in nine straight games. And it seems like they're fully healthy now. They were dealing with a, a couple just minor injuries. I know that uh, Alex Caravan was banged up. He might have missed a game uh, it recently, and uh, Donovan Klingon had missed a few games. Stefan Castle was out for a bit, but they're all back now. They're all fully healthy. And five of these players have led the team in scoring in their last seven games. And these five players, this is an unbelievable stat. They're all ranked in the top 28 over at Evan Maya. I, I've never seen that before. That's Cam Spencer, Tristan Newton, Alex Caraban, who is... Criminally underrated. Donovan Klingin and then Stefan Castle, who's likely one of the top players to go in the NBA draft. They, they This team is clicking on all cylinders. They're making their three-point shots. Cam Spencer makes them at 44% on the year. Klingin is the number two most valuable player in the country, according to Evan Maya, behind Zach Eadie. And it just feels like everything is going really well for this team. The only thing that gives me pause with UConn is when you look at the rest of their schedule. I think this is the game that they might slip up. They have Villanova, Seton Hall, at Marquette, and at Providence to end the year. You have to think there's going to be a loss in there somewhere before the Big East tournament now there might not be they might in fact go 29 and 2 but I, I think there's a still loss there it's going to be very hard for them to go what 19 and 1 in Big East play I don't I don't know that feels almost like an insurmountable challenge even though this UConn team is playing absolutely lights out how's Creighton doing though on the other side they're always an interesting team to me because, I especially this year though, I don't know that they figured out how to win just yet. You know they have that one point loss to Butler back on February second. They have a loss in overtime at Providence. Following that, they have a five point loss at Marquette on their Big East schedule as well. So. They're 10 and 5 in the conference, and they really could be 13 and 2. And they, I feel like they haven't closed the door as solidly as I would like them to, given their talent this year. Steven Ashworth hasn't worked out as well, I don't think, as was anticipated. He's starting to pick it up in the last few games, which is why we've seen this modest three game winning streak from Creighton with wins at Xavier. Georgetown and then at Butler, avenging that loss with a what maybe their best performance of the season on Saturday, winning by 22 at Butler. Baylor Shireman is also starting to step it up as well. He's led the team in rebounding five straight games with double digit rebounding performances in his last six. The issue with Creighton. This has been an issue all year. This is an issue that was anticipated coming into the season, is their depth. They have Shireman and uh, Alexander, who average over 36 minutes a game. And Kalkbrenner and Ashworth both average over 30, with Kalkbrenner right there at 33. So their starters have to produce the lion's share of the production, or they will not win. Because their bench is too thin. They play guys. You know, they get Farabello gets in every single game. Uh, King spells Kalkbrenner for his time on the bench. Literally, Kalkbrenner gets 32.9 minutes a game. And Frederick King gets eight. Exactly. Isaac Trout, the transfer from, I believe it was Virginia. Uh, He gets about 10 minutes a game. And he can shoot. But there's just not a lot of... Overall production from the bench. Their leading scorer off the bench is Francisco Farabello, and he gets four points a game. That should tell you what you need to know. But this team can shoot, and when they're on, they can be dangerous. And they uh, they don't push pace as much as you would think, but um, when they're again, when they're on. They can certainly beat anybody in the country. And their offenses, quite honestly, when you look at UConn and Creighton, they're so similar. They Let's look at some of these stats, all right? So when we look at uh UConn first, they are averaging 82 points a game, all right? Creighton is averaging 81.2. UConn gets 38.4 rebounds a game. Creighton gets 38.7. UConn has 18.3 assists per game. Creighton has 17.2. Field goal percentage. UConn is 49.9%. Creighton is 48.9%. Three-point percentage. UConn is 36.7%. Creighton is 36.1%. So, There's a lot of similarities between this team. I would say Creighton does everything a little bit less effectively. UConn is a little bit better at most things than Creighton is. But will the home court advantage sway this in Creighton's favor? I think that this could be a very important game for Creighton to get in terms of overall seeding and credibility within the eyes of the committee when we look at what might be their best win on the season i don't really know what it is it's probably alabama Uh, they beat them 85 to 82 back in december that's actually a really good non-conference win but that's that's easily their best win their second best win after that i don't know it's it might be like xavier To be honest, it might be Xavier. That's that's how much of a drop off there is in their resume. It might be Iowa. So what do we like in this game? The total at 144 and a half intrigues us The we're staying away from it just because of how unbelievable UConn has been defensively again in their last nine straight holding opponents to 65 or fewer. We think that Creighton will get over 65 points in this game. And we're going to take a flyer on Creighton to cover this minus three. So we're going to go with Creighton plus three at minus 115 over on DraftKings. If you are uh, following along, <laughs> this line keeps falling. The total, I'm sorry, not the line. The total keeps falling. It's now all the way down to 1435 half. And it was 144.5 when I hit record a few minutes ago. So it's 143.5 right now. So people are liking the under on this. I'm still going to stay away from the total. I think it might even go a little bit lower before they uh, tip off. But we're going to go with Creighton plus 3 minus 115. That's going to be our first play. Second game, Baylor at BYU. This is number 11, Baylor at number 25, BYU. This is at 9 o'clock on ESPN. Current odds are BYU minus four. The total sits at 154 with the under at minus 108. Baylor on the money line is plus 150. BYU is minus 180. So when we look at Baylor against the spread, they're 15-7-2 this year. So they have a great, (laughs) they've made betters a lot of money, let's just say, if you are Uh, consistent with betting Baylor. And I think Baylor's one of these teams that's underrated by the computers. So Baylor's number 11 in the AP. I think the AP has it right. I think they're quote-unquote more accurate than the computers. They're 11 in the net. The rest of the computers, Ken Palm 12, BPI's 13, Torvik and Evan Maya have them at 17. I think 17's a little bit too low for this team. Baylor has a lot of guys who can step up on any given night and lead them in scoring. Like we talked about with UConn how they had five uh different leading scores in their last seven games. It's been the same with Baylor. Five different scores leading the team in their last seven games. We think that Bryce Drew is a master at managing minutes and managing rotations. We think he's one of the best in the country at it and it keeps Players fresh, keeps them out of foul trouble and knows who to play at certain times. He's not afraid to go to his bench in clutch moments if he thinks it's the right matchup and the right fit. And most of the time, his assessment is correct. And so we like Baylor's depth and their bench, even if they're not the most productive bench in the country, right? They get minutes from Josh Ojenawa. Uh, I think that's how you say it. They get minutes from Caleb Lohner. They get minutes from Miro Little every single game. They're not amazing contributors, but they don't make any mistakes, right? And that's what's really important for uh, bench players to come in and keep things status quo almost. Don't hurt the team. And that's exactly what their bench guys do. Baylor's winners of five of their last six, and we were pretty nervous about this Baylor team after they lost to Kansas because we saw Oklahoma on the horizon, BYU this game, and then they have Houston, TCU, Kansas, Texas, and Texas Tech all coming up, and We knew that Oklahoma needed to be a get-right game, and it was. They won 79-62 to against Oklahoma, and then they took care of business in Morgantown. So winners of five of their last six, that also includes home wins against Iowa State and Texas Tech. So they're playing really well. My main concern with this Baylor team, it's almost the opposite of UConn with their versatility and their depth, right? With UConn, if they go to Castle, if they go to Caravan, if they go to Newton, like I think it's fine in, you know, clutch moments, Cam Spencer, whoever it is. With Baylor, I don't know who, I don't trust their, who who they have to be the guy. I don't know who the guy is, right? Is it Langston Love? Is it Ray J Dennis? Is it, Jaden Nunn. It should be Jacoby Walter. He's their most talented and best player, but he's also pretty erratic. Misi can't create his own shots at this point in his career, so it can't be him. So who is it? You know, Dennis can create his own shot for sure. He's probably the guy who has the best ability to do that outside of Walter, but he can be erratic. So I'm not sure who it is that you go to in clutch time to get you those close wins. And I think that has manifested itself in some of their games this year. When they had that three loss stretch in the mid of, middle of January, they lost to Kansas state by four and overtime at Texas by two and home to TCU and three overtimes by three. And I think a lot of that is because they haven't figured out yet who the guy is, right? If it's Jacoby Walter, I mean, he's shooting 38% from the field. So you, it it's it's that I think is something they have to figure out. What kinds of plays are they going to run in end of game situations to get whoever the guy is the opportunity for them to win. I think if we had to look at this roster, it's got to be Ray J. Dennis and uh, you know, we'll see if the game comes down to the wire tonight what it is that they do. I, I can't imagine they're not going to be more close games for BYU, I'm sorry for Baylor in this conference because there are close games in this conference all over the place all the time. And there could be one tonight. BYU I think might be overrated by the computers. I'm not I'm not sure. Uh you know they're ranked number 25 by the AP. I think that's probably more accurate uh, as to where they should be. They're 10 in the net. They're ahead of Baylor by one in the net and their lowest rank by the computers is 20 at Evan Maya. When we look at their uh, ranking by the net, I'm not sure why they're ten. When we look at their matchup versus Baylor, right? BYU is six and seven against the quad one and two, and Baylor is ten and six. BYU is twelve and zero against quads three and four. Baylor's eight and zero. BYU's thirteen and two at home. Baylor's twelve and one. Uh, their road neutral record for BYU is five and five. Baylor's is 6-5, and five. so I don't understand how the net is calculating BYU ahead of Baylor. I really don't. I mean, I just told you all the statistics that the net uses to make their calculations, and Baylor's better than BYU in all of them, so I don't know. I'm not understanding it here. BYU's only 6-6 six and six in league play as well. They had a bad loss at Oklahoma State. The thing is, they're lucky, BYU, because that qualified as a quad 2 loss, not as a quad 3, so... It looks a lot better in the rankings for net than it actually is because all quad two losses are essentially lumped together. And this happens to be a quad two. I don't know if it's going to fall to a quad three, depending on how Oklahoma State plays the rest of the season. But right now, it's quad two. BYU has five double digit scores. They are very, very good on offense, adjusted uh, offensive efficiency. According to Ken Palm, they are number eight in the country. I think that's part of the reason that they are ranked so high because they're so good uh, offensively. And when they win, they they can kind of overwhelm teams a little bit with how how uh, effectively and quickly they can score. They have five double-digit scorers on their team. We love their shooting guard, Trevin Nell. He can light it up from the outside 40.7% from three this year (laughs) and we think he's actually better than that you know he's he's one of those guys who will take tough shots and uh, make them but uh, you know a couple years ago when he was more of a bench player for BYU he was shooting 45% from three and we think that he is much more of a 45% three-point shooter than 40 I mean we'll take 40.7 don't get us wrong but he, when he's on, he he will be making everything when he is on. We also like the emergence of uh, Fusini Traori. Uh, he was hurt, I think, for a little bit of this season, but uh, it's good for for him to get in the mix. He's forty because this team is full of you know, perimeter guard and forward play. Right, they're forwards, and their their forwards kind of play like Baylor Shireman all around the. Perimeter without the rebounding uh, prowess, and their guards, they're they're all. It's it's very spread kind of offense. It's like a four and one kind of offense, and uh, they rely on perimeter shooting more than anything to uh, fill it up to the tune of eighty three point four points per game. My wonder with this game is the question of pace. Will Baylor be able to push the pace against this? Baylor, or sorry, will BYU be able to push this pace against this Baylor D? I don't know if they want to push pace. They might. They're 87th in adjusted tempo, which it feels like when you watch BYU, they would be faster than that. But that's what they that's what they fall in on at Ken Palm. Baylor ranks 77th in adjusted defense. Allowing 101.2 points per game per 100 possessions, it out of the four units, it's probably the weakest on the court. So we're going to have to see some defensive, uh, you know, they're going to have to step it up. Guys like Misi in the middle and uh, better perimeter defense, especially against this BYU team who will be looking to, you know, shoot the ball from the outside. So what is it that we like in this game? We're going to go with Baylor plus four and the over. Those are the two plays that we like in this one. We think this game could go well into the 80s for both teams. So we like that uh, over 154 at minus 112. And we think Baylor could very much win this game. We're not going to go with the money line play, but we think that is a possibility as well. We just like the plus four a little bit better, giving us some leeway. So we're going to take... uh, Baylor plus four and the over 154 in this one. Our third game is TCU at Texas Tech. Texas Tech is number 23 in the country. This game's at 9 p.m. on ESPN2. Odds are Texas Tech minus five and a half at minus 112 with the over 147 sitting at minus 105. TCU on the money line is plus 195. Texas Tech on the money line is minus 238. So let's talk about these two teams in a broad sense. I am not convinced that either one of these teams is a tournament team just yet. I think both have work to do. I think both their resumes have holes in them. Texas Tech is the beneficiary of better computer numbers at this point. But when you look at their resumes, I think they are quite similar. So let's start with TCU they are across the board ranked in the 30s at every single major rating metric and they are 36 which is pretty low in the net when we look at their company in the net right the teams ahead of them SMU is 34 Villanova's 35 they've Cincinnati Mississippi State behind them so they're in a log jam part of the net where you really don't want to be at this point in the season. So they're going to need to start to collect these quad one and quad two wins when the opportunities present themselves. And this would be a quad one win for sure for TCU. They are six and seven in quad one and quad two opportunities, and they're 12 and 0 outside of that. So no bad losses for TCU, which is something to hang their hat on for sure at this point in the season. Texas Tech is also 5-7 and seven in the net. Or, or, or not also, they are 5-7 and seven in Quad 1 and Quad 2. So I don't know why Texas Tech's numbers are so much better than TCU's. They have 13 games against Quad 3 and 4, and TCU is 12. So I think they're a lot closer than the computers might think. So let's talk about TCU a little bit. They're top 50 in both offense and defense-adjusted efficiency per Ken Palm. And they're a really good Road team, which again, I don't get why they're not getting credit for this specifically in the net. The committee always talks about how they look at your performances on the road, and TCU has very good performances on the road on which they can hang their hat. They have wins at Kansas State, Baylor, and Oklahoma State. They have close losses to Cincy in overtime and Kansas by two. They also have a home win against Houston. So, In conference, they are certainly looking like a tournament team. The bugaboo with the TCU team, I think, and what is dragging them down in the net, maybe a little bit unfairly, is their non-conference schedule. They really only had two good games in their non-con, and they lost both of them. Clemson and Nevada were chances for tcu to have some haft in their non-conference and they didn't win either of those contests all their other wins in non-conference are you know their buy games or their throwaway games and so that's something that the committee's certainly going to examine at the very least with seeding and at worst with getting them in the tournament when we look at this TCU squad, it's all about Emmanuel Miller. He makes this team go. The thing about Miller I think is that he's kind of a like a high floor, low ceiling kind of player. Like you know what you're going to get. I don't know that he's going to give you a lot more than what he has night in night out. Like I don't know that he's a 30 point a game player to break out. He averages 16 and it's like he'll get 12 to 20 like every single game, right? So He's certainly the unquestioned leader of this team, but can he take them to the next level and get them to, say, a Sweet 16 appearance? That I am not sure. They have uh, Jameer Nelson Jr. in their backcourt, who is a pesky defender, 2.2 steals per game. So he leads them on defense. The main issue with TCU this year has been turnovers. They do turn the ball over quite a bit. Just under 13 a game. That's not going to cut it against this Texas Tech Red Raiders team who is going to, I think, uh, look to maybe push the pace a little bit more than they're accustomed to in this game. I think that worked for them against Kansas. Clearly it did with their blowout win. And when they, like, this team can be a volume type of offense. And. I don't know. I think they could be a little bit more well-served in playing more quickly than they do. They're 269 at Ken Palm on adjusted tempo. I don't think they need to be playing that slowly. Uh, They've got a guard in uh, the well-traveled Joe Toussaint, who's their highest ranked player on Evan Maya. He can absolutely push pace. He is a playmaker on offense, and we've seen him push pace at... I mean, he played for Iowa. Like, <laughs> you know he knows how to play fast. And, uh, you know, despite him being a very good fit at, at Texas Tech as well, um, I don't know. I, I, I feel like this team could just play a little bit faster than they have been. Uh, they've got Darian Williams, who can light it up from the outside. He's 10 of 15 from three in his last six games. And uh, they've got a good inside player in Warren, Washington, who... Uh, defends the rim at 1.6 blocks per contest. So they've got some uh, defensive pieces. They've got some offensive pieces. But I just don't know if they're five and a half points better than TCU. TCU with their very good road play. And the fact that I think these teams are closer than the computers say, we're going to go with TCU. TCU 15 and 10 against the spread. Texas Tech's 11, 13, and 1. And I think it's because Texas Tech's computer numbers inflate them with Vegas. And so we're going to go TCU plus five and a half. That might be our favorite play of the four that we're talking about today. Our last game is at nine o'clock on CBS Sports. So you're going to have to have your remote handy with these three games here at nine o'clock plus the Creighton and UConn game at 830. This is San Diego State at Utah State. Current odds are Utah State minus two. The over is 144 at minus 108. San Diego State on the money line is plus 114. Utah State on the money line is minus 135. So let's talk about the Mountain West a little bit. Everybody is talking about this six bid league in the Mountain West because they've got all these teams at the top of the conference and then all these teams at the bottom who are Uh, jockeying for position when we look at the mountain west right if we look at the net standings right now let's pull this up and and tell you where each of these uh, so-called tournament teams is in the net right we've got san diego state they're 18 in the net new mexico's 24 colorado state 25 utah state is 30 boise state is 43 and nevada's 44 Then there's a drop-off. It goes to UNLV, who's kind of sitting in the middle by themselves at 94. So that's how drastic the drop-off is. And then you have four teams, 160 and below, in the net that all these teams have to play, right? So is this a six-bid league? I don't think it is. And I think people are trying to manifested into the universe that it is a six-bid league just because they want it to be. It doesn't mean that it's there. It doesn't mean on paper that this is a six-bid league. I don't think it is. I think Utah State is a team that is in trouble. I if I have to say right now, I think San Diego State, New Mexico, and Colorado State are definitely in. And out of these three, Utah State, Boise State, Nevada, I might take Nevada, even though they're the worst in the net right now. I think they're probably the fourth best. But uh, they, would, they would be my team who might be like a first four, and then I might leave Boise and Utah out, Utah State out. So I don't think this is a six-bid league right now. I don't think they're going to get to six. And I think if Utah State wants to get in the tournament, they're going to have to win this game tonight because their schedule moving forward is not that good. So let's talk about the game a little bit. Let's talk first about San Diego State. So they came out as uh, the fourteen. I believe they were 14 in the first rankings released by the committee. And I was a little bit surprised by that. Right now, they're listed as 18 in the net. I don't think they're that good. They're good, but they're not great. And when you look at the computer numbers for San Diego State, they do have an outlier at ESPN who has them at 33. So do I think this is a top 25 team? Maybe. I think they're more a top 25 team. But I think top 20 might be stretching it a little bit. They are winners of four and five, of five. And they had the, a great win against the Colorado, oh, sorry, against Utah State by 14 just a few weeks ago. And they were able to avenge a loss at home to Colorado State. Jaden Ladee is their breakout star. This we saw coming from preseason. We knew, I mean, the way he played in the tournament last year, we knew that he was going to be the guy. And he has been the guy. He does everything for them. And he is uh, far and away their most valuable player. 20.4 points, 8.2 boards. He gets 1.3 steals a game as well. He shoots 56% from the field. And he shoots just under 40% from three. So he can do everything. I mean, he doesn't take that many threes, a little over one a game. But it's a component of his game that opposing... Defenses need to respect because he does make them at a pretty good clip. This team, (laughs) if you were to look up San Diego State like in a dictionary, like this team is exactly what San Diego State wants to build in their program. They are tough. Their guards are big. They don't shoot well, but they defend and they win. Their defense is Number seven, uh, according to Ken Palm, in the country, and that is no surprise. I will say they do have Reese Waters who can fill it up from three, but other than that, you know, the, their guys are clutch. They certainly are. But I mean, listen to this: <laughs> out of their four other, so if we take Walsh out of the, or sorry, Waters out of the equation, we've got Micah Parrish, thirty-one point eight percent from three. Lamont Butler, 31% from three. Darian Trammell, 31.3% from three. And Elijah Saunders, 31.6% from three. They're all, they're all the same. They're all the same. They've got so many players who, who are just the same. But they're, they're tough. They're so tough on defense. Butler especially. And uh, that's what Utah State's going to have to overcome in this game. The question for me in my mind with Utah State is can they shoot? Against this defense. When we look at the Aggies, they're losers of three of five, and they've lost each of those games by double digits, which is why their computer numbers are fading quickly. They're 30 in the net, but no one else has them nearly that high. They're all the way down at 63, both at Evan Maya and ESPN. Ken Palm has them at 41, and Torvik has them at 54. So the computers are not aligned with Utah State. It's good for Utah State that the net is the one that likes them the most and they like them considerably more than the other four. Their remaining schedule, like I said, it's not going to do them any favors. After this game, they have one opportunity for a good win and just landmines before that. They go to Fresno, they host Air Force, they go to San Jose State, and then they host New Mexico. And I think what is a must win for Utah State, but especially if they don't get this one tonight. Great Osabor is going to be a fun part of the matchup against Jaden Ledee. Osabor is a forward that no one in the country is really talking about, but He is putting up numbers. 17.8 points per game, 9.2 boards, 2.8 assists, 1.2 steals, 1.4 blocks, 58% from the field. Sounds a lot like what Ledee is doing for the Aztecs. So that's a matchup that I am excited to watch. So again, can Utah State make their perimeter shots? Ian Martinez and Darius Brown are going to be the two who have to Convert their opportunities. Martinez shoots 40% from three. Brown just under 36%. They each take about four threes per game. Utah State averages 80 points per game. But in their three losses. Out of their last five games. They have struggled offensively. 67 points when they lost to San Diego State. Back on the third. 63 points against Nevada. 55 points against Colorado State. So you can see when there's a step up in competition, Utah State hasn't been able to meet it so far this season. I like San Diego State. Despite them being 11 and 13 against the spread, we're going to take them on the money line here at plus 114. We think that the uh, Aztecs are starting to click and... It's feeling like that part of the year when they just decide to become dangerous. We think Ladee's the best player on the floor and we think this defense is going to be too suffocating for Utah State to handle and we like San Diego State to capture this one on the road. So to summarize our plays for tonight, we have... UConn and Creighton, we're going to go with Creighton plus three. We have Baylor and BYU, we're going to go with Baylor plus four and over 154. We have TCU and Texas Tech, we're going to go with TCU plus five and a half. And San Diego State and Utah State, we're going with San Diego State on the money line at plus 114. So that will do it for this episode of Year Round Madness. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy the games tonight. And we, again, are going to have more frequent episodes of this podcast as the college basketball season is heating up. We've got more people tuned into it now, right? It's football's over and people want to know what's going on with teams that they remember from last March. So I think we're going to get more people tuned into the sport at this point. And so uh, we think it's going to be pretty important to air more and more episodes to win you some money on uh, some of these games that we like. So again, thanks for listening. And we'll be back later on either this week, maybe on Saturday, or at the very least next week to cover more games for you. Until then, stay tuned to the network. And thanks so much for supporting the Total Sports 24-7 Network. Take care.